It is the fantasy focus baseball. Kara Baron Cockcroft, it's a monstrosity. I think that was Tristan H. Cockcroft trying to sing Bohemian Rhapsody. Is that what that was? I have to do the whole song for anybody to get that it's Bohemian Rhapsody. Whatever. I just got the monstrosity thing in there. So I, I think good. you got the great. upper part in there. <laughs> nice job out of you, Tristan. That, this anyway, is- the wind blows doesn't really matter to me. Yes, the show doesn't really matter very much. Fantasy Focus Baseball for Thursday, May 21st, 2020. He's singing Tristan H. Cockcroft, singer of songs, slayer of many of his fantasy leagues, though not last night. Kyle Soppy <laughs> actually produces and researches the show. We'll get to that, Tristan. Don't you think I'm going to uh, forget about this? You, you haven't put two and two together yet about the late night? and Oh, yeah, I'm doing great with the songs and the coffee. Hey, I did it the, last week, and I almost won. And then I actually, chose the show. Yeah, we got to get into that later. That last we're going to get into that later. We found out that Tristan can't win. Uh, yeah, the guy I speak. I'm Eric Carabell, as they say, just right place, right time. On today's fine show, our pal June Lee joins us soon to discuss the baseball movie The Sandlot because it is Thursday. And this is what we do on Thursdays. We'll also have Tristan's trivia uh, that someone might or might not know. And later on, Kyle reads your hash browns, as we all hope, for a safe, fruitful 2020 season that I don't know if it's positive or negative, the news story is coming out, but I assume they will figure out the money, the millionaires and the billionaires, and at some point there will be a baseball season. Uh, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. For now, let's bring in our good friend, June Lee, to discuss the baseball movie The Sandlot, because it is one of his favorites, and it's something that we have seen as well. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? Something we have just seen. the passive aggressive well. shots in there from the top. Oh, right, so that's not. Look, it, well, I didn't hate the movie. It's it's just not. It's not my favorite uh, baseball movie, and we'll get to that. But let's talk about positive stuff. You loved it, and you called it a movie from your youth. And frankly, when it came out, you know, I wasn't in. I was in a different youth. I wasn't. You know, I was uh, getting out of college. So tell us why June, you love the movie The Sandlot. Yeah, I don't like if I watched this movie for the first time today as a 25 year old, I don't think I would have enjoyed it. I don't think I would hold the same feelings that I hold to it today because I remember watching The Sandlot growing up and it's just like one of those movies that reminds you of, of playing with your friends at the, at the play yard or, uh, or at the playground. Just, you know, if you had like six people just like playing baseball, like it reminds me of, of, uh, all the summers where we're just trying to kill time, um, where we'd hold like home run derbies, like, I think for that reason, it really holds up. Uh, and then there's just so many quotable lines. I mean, I we, like. I feel like I see people wearing uh, Hambino shirts all the time. They're in Urban Outfitters now. Like the movies become like this pop cultural cult classic. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with nostalgia. Um, but I do think a lot of it holds up. I think it is a funny movie, especially for a kids' movie. Um, and uh, th- I think there's a lot of memorable. Char- there's a lot of memorable moments. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, everyone, everyone worshiped Benny the Jet Rodriguez growing up. So, uh, that, that's at least my perspective on it. And I know that's, that's different from your, you guys. Uh, cause, uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, five, six, seven years old, like starting to fall in love with baseball for the first time when I saw that movie. So it holds a different place in my heart, but I know for a fact, if I saw it today, it would, you know, it would hit very, very differently. Like I watched it today and it was like a nostalgia fest, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's generational differences here. I mean, I have a kid older than you. So I think, Tristan, it, this is like our Bad News Bears it, to, in a, it, to a degree. I mean, the Bad News Bears we talked about last week was the first baseball movie you remember seeing. And I love Bad News Bears, but I was just at a different stage in my life 
when the Sandlot came out, having a kid. <laughs> so um, I think that's different. Tristan, where do you stand on this? Is it one of your favorites? Um, can you not get over some of the some of the you know differences, <laughs> like yeah. how it ends? I I don't know. Like you t- say something nice. Oh, say something nice. Okay, then we're not talking about the ending. We'll get to that later. Um, I actually think this movie does a very good job of giving you the perspective of life as a 12-year-old. Yeah. And that was what I appreciated most when I first saw it. I did watch this eh, fully, for the, effectively fully as an adult. Uh, you know, I could vote at that point, but not by much. Um, it, the big issue I have with it, though, is that for all the goods, and June, you got into a lot of them, it doesn't hold up for me as well on subsequent viewings. It really is a kid's movie and it plays like a kid's movie. And while I appreciated that back in the day, I think I would have had to have been younger when I originally saw it to truly appreciate it the same way now. Eric, I think the Bad News Bears comp in terms of where you are in your life is a great one. If we had been born right around the the point that this movie was made, we might love this today. We might worship it. And I think in retrospect, one of the reasons why it still holds up for me in the rankings and I overranked it in mine is that the movies that came right before it were especially poor. The Major League sequels, the little big league movie, the the Rookie of the Year movie. There were good parts of those, but they weren't great movies. This was better than those. Well, this is about learning, about friendship, about fitting in, about just having a good time over the summer, getting into some trouble that is not serious trouble. I mean, it's just, it is a fun movie, and I do think the movie holds up. Um, it is timeless in that way. You're killing me smalls is my favorite line. And you, you hear it all the time. And like you said, the great Hambino. So let's go through the three uh, categories here. Artistically, was it actually a good movie? Um, did it tell a story that we enjoy? Was it entertaining and emotive? Yeah, I think, I think in that sense, June, would you agree that it does hold up as a good movie artistically? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's trying to be a kid's movie. So I think you have to judge it within that context in terms of its quality. And as a kid's movie, 100% holds up, right? Uh, I, I think kids watching it today, it'll feel relevant. I, you know, I think it's, it'll feel relevant as a kid's movie until the end of time because baseball's baseball and like, you know, kids playing baseball out in a yard presumably is not going to change, uh, you know, over the course of, you know, the, the ensuing decades or whatever. Um, you know, as an, I, from, from like a, from like a creative standpoint, I think Bad News Bears holds up better as a, as a movie as for both kids and adults. I think Bad News Bears has a bit more of an adult perspective in there that allows it to age a little bit better as you as you grow up. When you're a kid, you can watch Bad News Bears one way, and as an adult, you can watch it a different way. I think Sandlot kind of only consistently holds that 12-year-old's perspective, which I thought was a really good point. You know, the thing that I, I thought was really good about The Sandlot was that it makes the stakes of the movie like that of a 12 year old, you know, when you, the whole Wendy peppercorn scene, like the stakes of that is dramatized. Like you are 12 years old. And I really, really appreciated that. You know, when you're 12 years old, that kind of stuff has that kind of stakes and that kind of terror. And it, it really kind of as a kid's movie, again, it, it really does that. And so for that reason, I think it really does holds up. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those movies that, uh, you know, I'm probably going to show my kids one day and it's probably going to live on as, as that kind of thing, especially because, you know, it's become a pop cultural touchstone. So artistically good, timelessness good, but technically Tristan, the other category here as a baseball movie, is this believable? Um, it didn't have a ton of baseball in it. I mean, baseball is the core of their summer uh, playing baseball, but when the new kid comes in and he's looking to be friends and he's not a good baseball player and his dad is kind of uh, out there, a comedian who's like not very funny in the movie, Dennis Leary, 
Um, you know, like I, you feel for the kid. It, it's emotional. He, we want him to be, have friends. When he steals his father's baseball, signed by the greatest baseball ever, player ever that he doesn't know, he's never heard of Baby Ruth, he thinks it's actually, you know, a woman, that's a problem, okay? Um, and then when he hits the home run and loses the ball, and they spend half the movie trying to get it back from this mean dog, the beast, it almost becomes not a baseball movie at that point. And then the scene where the dog is chasing the guy around town, that's a problem. So I think it's believable to a point. It is, yeah, and you raise good points, especially about the race through town. Um, Nobody gets tired, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, and 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 let's face it, dogs are a little bit quicker than we are as humans, even as kids. Uh, I, I I felt like the main character was a little bit too exaggerated in how incompetent he was at baseball and the lack of knowledge. I mean, the s'mores thing is one of our questions to yeah. not have any knowledge of that at all. Everything was taken to its dramatic extreme and again this ties to what i said before about the living the life from the perspective of the 12 year old is that everything tends to be grossly exaggerated but it makes it harder for us to appreciate it at our age now we just can't see it through the eyes of a 12 year old i have to watch it as a 12 year old i actually do think june uh, ring back to your to your point on the uh the fact that you'd make a, a baseball game out of anything i think that was one of the things they did very well here i just question do kids still do that now i remember Wait, when i was 12 games. Kids are playing video games now, right. They're not like going in the street and playing stickball like we did. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, we, we I, would I, make a game out of everything. Remember, third base is the telephone pole or something, and then you'd be crashing into third base as you're trying to round sure. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I look. I played a ton of baseball growing up when I was that age. I was in little league. We played in the streets. We played stickball, wiffle ball, real baseball. We broke windows. We did. We got into trouble. That's for sure. We probably got into a different trouble than June did, but it's still that part of it definitely holds up. You know, like as twelve year olds. Maybe you're moving into a new school. Oh, I want to be friends. Like, you know, there's alienation. Kids are very alienating and cruel. So it's kind of fun that there's this large group of kids that are all playing baseball. And that's really cool. I do like that part. Um, June, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was – I thought it was the, the scene where they introduce all of the kids – I thought it was just, it's such a, it's such a well done, like little characterization moment in the movie. Uh, and it's also, it also shows you just how cool kids are and how quickly their opinions on someone can change and how dramatically those emotions change, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, you know, I, I, I really love the fact that James Earl Jones is in this movie. Um, because I think the idea of having Darth Vader in your backyard holding all of the baseballs is so funny. Uh, and then also just tying in, you know, the way, you know, hearing James Earl Jones just talk about the Yankees and Babe Ruth is just like ASMR, right? Uh, so uh, all of that stuff, I think, is is awesome in, in this movie as well. I was scared for the kid when he lost the baseball. I, I, that was my first thought watching it is, oh, my God, I, I hope the dad doesn't, you know, do something to that kid. And, you know, it's a kid's movie, so he didn't. But like, and it's, and it's Dennis Leary too. Remember, Dennis Leary and his comedy act around that era. He's so funny, but he's not funny in that movie. But like, then he gets, then he and his father, you know, have like this new relationship, which is also really cool. I mean, life is really about relationships and baseball and s'mores. Look, before we get to the uh, hash browns about this movie, we I gotta get the yeah, we, we gotta, gotta get the we gotta get the trivia. But I gotta ask you guys the ending. We have to bring up the ending of this movie. I hated the ending of this. Why did you hate it, Tristan? What's your what's your problem with it? It's what? <laughs> How do you wrap a movie like this? It's it's just 
an exercise in the absurd. We're going to celebrate a guy coming in late in his career when his speed is declining as a pinch runner at third base only to steal home. And that's we're gonna, what we're going to celebrate is a great moment. Ricky I mean, Henderson could steal third base right now in a major league baseball game. Major difference between stealing third base and home plate. Put him on first base, have him steal both bases, and then get driven in on, like, a big hit to the outfield. Come on. Yeah, but, like, nobody's taking this ending or this movie seriously either. So while I do have issue with the way it ends, it's kind of cool that he's the broadcaster and his his buddy's stealing home. And, you know, he's going to be safe, so it's a nice ending. I, I, I don't have a major problem with it. It's unrealistic, but much of the movie is unrealistic, too. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, what are the odds that two people from the same friend group in Los Angeles, one of them ends up on the Dodgers and one of them ends up as the radio broadcaster for the team? Where's uh, Vince Scully? That, yeah. That's that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> it was off that day? We oh, love Vince Scully. Yeah, I, I thought the ending, as an adult, I was like, oh, this is a very kids movie ending, you know? Uh I personally, as an adult, don't love the ending. Uh, but there's also, like, I don't really know what, how you would have ended this movie. Cause it, like, it ends on, like, the kid being, do you just end the, end it on the, on the kid playing catch at the end? Like, I guess that could have been an ending. Um, I don't really know, like, what would have left us feeling good, better about the movie, you know, given how it ended. Tell the game context, it's a key game or a key moment in the game. Pinch run him at first base, have him steal second, and then have him leg out a close play on a single to the outfield. Like Dave Roberts? The Dave Roberts play for the Red Sox? You're going to make that? Yes, that's realistic at least. I mean, that's, you know, like, it's just not realistic here. You're teaching kids to steal home plate when they pinch run. Well, that's not a good lesson. (laughs) I think we can all agree that that lesson is a little bit warped. Um, we have a hash browns here, but before we do that, we got to get the trivia at least question in so June has a chance to not get it right. Uh, Tristan, what's your trivia question today? Sing the song uh, and then get, get Oh, the, the uh, trivia, trivia that Eric and June and Kyle won't know. <laughs> All right. Never I, get I, told. I had to go with a Sandlot-themed question because I hate the steal of home. So the question is... Who's the last guy to steal home? No. An active player has done it seven times. Now, steals of home have been tracked in the the stat calculator that I have since 1976. Paul Molitor's first was 17. This guy who's active has seven, who is the active leader in steals of home. Well, we should also note that there are some stolen bases of home that aren't like the one ending in the sandlot. Like, somebody could steal second base, Oh, yeah. And and the guy steals home off of that, and it's like, uh, okay, that's not even close to the same thing. But so we don't know, like, if this is actual steals of home or like. But man, that's interesting. I have my god, seven steals in this era. Seven, seven steals. My I wild guess is Gerard Dyson. That's what I was going to say. Gerard Dyson is not correct. Gerard Dyson has never stolen home. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I. It's not. Yeah, it's not an easy question. I will say that this is a a player that I'm very fond of that Eric hates with a lot of passion. <laughs> Why? Well, I don't hate anybody. What are you talking you about? You do not like this player for fantasy at all, and I do. <laughs> you never have. Wait, it's not Adelbert Mondesi. You hate him. Yeah. Nope. It's one you don't like, and I do like. <laughs> Billy Hamilton? No. No. We'll guess later. Okay. Um, yeah, now, now I'm angry. 
Um, <laughs> who do I hate? I don't hate anybody. All right. Uh, that, that now I'm now I'm angry. I can't do the show. Let's uh, here are the hash browns that go with the show. Baker writes. Smalls had never eaten s'mores before. What is the which is a problem in a way. Like, where did this kid grow up? He couldn't throw a baseball. He didn't know s'mores were. It's like he lived a weird life in his first 12 years. Anyway, the question goes, what is the one food you didn't try or know about until years after you should have? Which has nothing I have to an answer for this. Okay, let's hear it. I have never had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yay! All right, June, high five across the internet. Why are you cheering that? That is yeah, awesome. I mean, if I had the power to kick you off the podcast right now, I would. Well, I mean, are you allergic to peanut butter? No, My wife's I, allergic to it, peanut it, butter. It's never a thing. I've never been a big fan of peanut butter. Jelly, I can take it or leave it. So it just like, and I grew up in a, I grew up in a Korean household. And so like we had Korean snacks and like my, like when my mom would make me lunch, like a PB and J was not like the first thing she defaulted to. So it just I'm never happened. And board. I've never really, been, <laughs> and I've never mean? like felt the need to like do it at this point. And now I'm 25. So it just feels too late. It's not too late. It's not too late. Oh my God. Did you, did yeah, but those are the needle people with this. That's because uh, it's fun to get this kind of reaction out of people. Well, I mean, uh, it, June, it's I'm a different. You. You're Tristan. You're reacting because you just hate peanut butter. June doesn't oh, know peanut I butter. Love, I love peanut butter. I hate peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Why? You can have a peanut butter sandwich. That's fine. What's What's wrong with jelly? The it's salt, just jelly. Salt and sugar. I'm eight. Awkward. Yeah, no, I've aged out of jelly a little bit, but the anti-peanut butter take is what concerns me here. Well, I don't I'm think not anti-peanut like butter. I just, like, don't – I'm not particularly fond of it, you know, okay. so I don't, like, stink it out. It's not for everybody. You know, that's fair. You know, you know like, I, I don't eat seafood, and the people in my house last night wanted seafood, so I just, you know, I ate something else, and I hated the smell, and I, I, I lived. I'm fine. But I don't think – I don't think that would be, like, part of the question, like – I don't want to try. I've tried it. I've tried. I no. I just can't. I, I'm not. I'm not doing it. Um, Tristan, do you have an answer to this? And you refuse to eat. What is it? Mustard for some reason. Yeah, but I mean, I've I've tr- I tried that early on. Mustard That's, sucks though. It gives me a gag reflex. Yeah, if it's quality mustard or honey mustard, I might go for it. But I eat hot dogs just for the mustard. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with mustard? Yeah, I, I like mustard. Um, for me, the one I was way late uh, to was guacamole. Yeah. Okay. And because yeah, I, I, as a kid, I, I thought that guacamole looked like what it would look like if it came back up. And that's why I wouldn't try it until I was an adult. Lovely. Kind of sounds like a family podcast, Tristan. Really? That's what you're going to say if it came back up? <laughs> that's fair. That was a very censored way of saying it's it. A, we're, come on. We're talking about a movie from the perspective of a 12-year-old. As a 12-year-old, that's what I felt like. And I was missing out, man. I'm telling you. Kyle, I don't think I've ever seen you eat, even though we've gone to dinner many times. What uh, what would you say is your food? Actually, this one, I had my first veggie patty ever like a year ago. I texted Tristan about it, and they're actually good. Like, I was anti them for no real reason, and uh, my now wife's mom had it, and I tried it, and that shocked me. I'm, as Eric mentioned, a little bit picky when it comes to eating, so... I would say a veggie patty or tofu also ranks high up. There. I heard the Beyond Burger is pretty good from like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. I've never had a fast food version, but I assume yeah. it follows. My wife's had the Beyond Burger. She raved about it. But yeah, the, the veggie patties. I forget which one it was, Kyle. 
uh, Prager's or something. I, I don't remember all the brands. I've had a few different ones, but they're they're not too bad, Eric. What a, you're I am on the wrong show. I'm, I'm on the show with three eggplant Parmesan eaters, and I want a big heaping slab of veal Parmesan right now. Hey, I, love the veal. I want some peanut butter, and I want some mustard. That's oh. what I want right now. That is the grossest plate I think I've ever heard. I was going to say, I'm going to put that on a poll. What are you having for dinner tonight? Steak, veal, mustard, peanut butter, or the field? And I wonder what our percentage is. All right. Well, I'm not going to win that one either. Um, I don't know. If you get 5%, that's a win. So uh, Nick has a question. The ending has always bothered me. If you could re-script the ending, what would it look like? Tristan kind of did that with his Dave Roberts thing, which I guess Dave, Dave Roberts lives on forever in Red Sox lore for stealing that base off Mariano Rivera. And he scored a run, this tying run, and they won an extra innings and never lost again. That was the, They didn't lose another game that season. They were supposed to lose that game. So that actually is a good ending for Dave Roberts. If he had never managed again and, and never been back in baseball, I mean, you would remember him for that, and you still do. Hopefully he doesn't get remembered for Dodgers losing every World Series because, you know, he was a good player in his day. And Dodgers probably will win one at some point. They'll probably win this year, and people will want to put an asterisk on it. But that's not fair either. Um, all right. Final thoughts here on the movie The Sandlot. Is there anything else here that we need to get into? I mean, the quotes are endless, timeless. Um, the characters. I, I, I saw, I don't remember when I it was recently, where I saw, like, a reunion of the boys from The Sandlot. And some of them don't look quite the same. You know, some of them, they're not yeah, working yeah, out. Yeah. He's like ripped. His one guy is enormous. One guy looks jacked. A couple others look like you know they haven't had a vegetable or a salad in a decade. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wendy looks good. Oh. Um, so I mean, it, that's kind of cool that you can ever. I've never seen like a Bad News Bears reunion, but you I know like they've been doing that every couple of years now too. Like I, I feel like they show up at, at a major league stadium like at least once every couple of years now. Um, and I feel, I feel like the fact that they get back together, I feel like f- helps fuel the nostalgia yeah. and the cult classic status of it too. They're like the Hansons from Slapshot. That's way before your time. Like they just show up at games. I have no idea what that reference is. Oh my God. <laughs> oh boy. That's, oh, here we go. That might be my favorite movie, sports movie. Well, favorite movie is it's Slapshot with Paul Newman. Again, before and- your time. Wait a Everything second. Everything is. And I bring up regurgitation on this, and it's not a family podcast, but we're bringing up Slapshot, <laughs> which we That's could a fantastic not review movie. on the fantastic show. Fantastic movie. Tell me you don't like Slapshot, Tristan. It's an excellent movie, but we could never discuss it. Well, we could discuss it and just not say some of the things that we can't say. Um, but yes, <laughs> June, June's expertise is in baseball, so I like the Sandlot. I just don't like it as much as other people. Tristan clearly hates it. Um, hey! By the way, you know another bothersome bothersome thing? It's another uh questionable acting choice for the babe. That was that was that was probably my my biggest problem with the movie. It was just like, wow, that guy looks nothing like Babe Ruth. And like there's there's obviously been a lot of bad Babe Ruths uh on television or in movies across the history of time, right? Cuz they think you can just stick a any any big overweight white man in that role and you can't. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I don't know. It was just like, oh, this was like a particularly bad Babe Ruth casting, I felt. Agreed. No offense yeah, to whoever the actor was. Art LaFleur. Oh, that you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's, let's, let, I'm bothered by your trivia little parting shot there. <laughs> I gotta tell you. So, I'm trying to think of, 
a guy who steals bases that apparently Eric hates. It's a um, dead giveaway hint if you think. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to answer by I'm D. Gordon. I mean, it's going to be somebody I don't hate. You're not just D. wrong. Mouse Smith? I don't think D. Gordon has stolen a base either. See, I don't think anybody in the last five years has stolen home. Nobody yeah. steals home anymore. I think I could take 30 guesses, and they wouldn't have totaled seven steals of home. Gordon has one. This player actually has stolen third base a lot. I think he's the active leader in steals of third base as well. Yeah, 63. How many career steals are you looking at? Uh, he would have. That's a good question. Who even uh, steals? I mean, it can't, be, it can't be a guy like Trey Turner or somebody who's stealing now. It's got to be somebody who's old like Rajai Davis. Agreed. This guy is still drafted in fantasy for his steals. Okay, that's got to cut down our list to like 10 guys. And he has a career total of 302. 302, so he's got to be around for 10, 12 years. He has also stolen uh, at least 20 bases in one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, six of the past seven years. Elvis? You think I hate Elvis? Yeah. Why do I hate Elvis Andrews? Okay. What's, what's, what's my problem with him? You've, you've constantly pointed out you'd rank him way, way below Pride. Yeah, I've talked him down. You have. <laughs> I, I think maybe, like, hating a player or hating his value, we should differentiate here, okay? Like, I don't want this getting back to Elvis, and he's like, all right, now, now I can't go to Rangers games and report, because that would absolutely happen. It's, <laughs> if this podcast gets back to Elvis, he's going to have more problem with the food takes and the sandlot <laughs> takes than he will ever with your family. Yeah, there's been a lot of problematic takes here in this podcast. I agree. This, yes, I, I, look, uh, I am not putting peanut butter on my guacamole for dinner tonight. I'm just telling you right uh, now. I'm not doing that. Gross. Not, I can't even have peanut butter. Everybody in this house is allergic to it except me. And we're all stuck Peanut here. butter or Elvis Andrews? Who ranks higher? Who ranks what? Where would you, would you rank peanut butter, Elvis Andrews? Who gets ranked higher and lower? I'm ranking right. Elvis higher just to tell Tristan that I don't hate the player. Welcome to the wonderful world of hating players. <laughs> um, okay, so we wasted enough of June's time. So because he's apparently not working uh, on Thursdays or Fridays anymore. So no, we don't just, wanna... just just this week, just this week, just this week. So are you on like a vacation? Are you doing anything? Yes, fun? I'm, I'm, I'm taking a mini vacation on my couch. Okay, which I kind of I call that Monday. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, next week apparently, who decides this? So next week is going to be Bull Durham, and people are thinking, well, like Eric, you're putting on your movies. I'm not making any of these decisions. No, the movie czar sends them down. None of us get to choose. They come down from the movie czar. Okay. I've never seen Bull Durham, and I'm very, very excited to see it. Awesome. You should. It's it's a good movie. I like it. It was on my top five list. I, I got to be honest. When you mentioned there's a you mentioned the movie Sugar about a month ago. I don't know how long we've been doing this. I tried to find it. I want to watch it. I don't want to pay for it, but I want to watch it. And because, all right, say what you laugh at me for. I'm wanting to see a movie. For I free. hear. I hear you. I believe me. I hear you. I get my peanut butter for free too. Um, the point is that yes, I'd like to see Sugar. If anybody can tell me how to do that and being cheap at the same time, I, I would. I'd like to see it. <laughs> So, so we can discuss it because that's one of your favorites. We shouldn't only discuss movies that, that June has never seen. That's not right, Tristan. I mean, again, we're not picking the movies here. Somebody in June's group is picking movies for us to discuss that June has never seen. 
There's got to be better communication here. Oh. Oh, get on this. All I know is I'm looking forward to when we watch the movies that I just trashed about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> you were meaner than I was on the Sandlot. I've, I've been nothing but mean today. I'm sorry, guys. It was just a late night last night. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that, too. Yeah, Dude, we will. He was in a league last night, and he finished in last place. No, I did not finish oh, last no. place. I did not. I will factually tell you I was next to last place. <laughs> the two ESPN guys finishing the bottom two spots. Well, don't worry. I'll be on next Wednesday to hopefully win. I almost won last week. Anyway, June, thank you so much. The great Hambino. We appreciate your time on the show. And we will talk to you hopefully next Thursday to do more movies. Thank you, guys. Thanks, June. (laughs) That was weird. Oh, my goodness. All right. So uh, June does a great job, and we appreciate his time, especially on a day off. And um, interesting movie, interesting trivia. Interesting take that I hate a player. Um, so let's get into it, Tristan. So uh, last night, let's just get right into it because now I'm full of hate. So a oh, week ago, Wednesday, love, man, it's all love. Go for it. I don't think it is. <laughs> so Ron Chandler does retro drafts now for people in the industry, experts, and uh, I did it eight days ago, 1999, and it was a lot of fun. I thought I was going to win, and then I didn't. But I, I finished like second or third. Last night, Tristan, you did it, along with our boss, Pierre, and um, you did not fare well. And I'm not making fun of you, but why did that happen? Um, what did you do wrong? What did you learn from the experience? Please talk. And who did win? So Jeff Winnick won this draft, and not only did he win, he he won by a point and a half, but he had the commanding lead for the vast majority, forcing a lot of us to alter strategy and play some catch-up. Uh, it was for that. You reason, like ketchup, or you hate ketchup too? I like ketchup, but I like it when it's made freshly, and I do think that it tends to be a little overrated. Just be careful as to what you put it on. I'm, you know, like French fries on my, on my peanut butter mustard hot dog right now. Okay, Ew. people do that. People do put peanut butter on hot dogs. I put guacamole on hot dogs. Remember when I told you like a year ago that I'm suddenly allergic to guacamole? I know. <laughs> that was I'm like sorry. I don't know how that ha- – like, obviously, you don't know about allergies, but, like uh, – Oh, what is it I called? know about allergies. <laughs> Avocado. Avocado. All of a sudden, I became allergic to it. Now I can't have it. Um, anyway, what were you talking about? Oh, yeah. your draft last night. So so the draft. So this was the second and, – and, Eric, you were in the previous one you mentioned, uh, 1999 draft. The first one we did have a runaway leader who, with his final pick, had, t- did a huge jump in the standings. That didn't happen this time. We had Jeff running away with this effectively by using a punt pitching strategy. He was going for taking 12 points and saves ERA and whip, taking nothing but guys who gave him incremental saves, keeping his ERA – I think it was beneath three at the end, which is absurd if you look at 1999's – uh, run environment, and it threw a lot of other people off. And by the time we caught on to it, there wasn't much anybody could really do about this. So for me, I learned a couple of things. One is that I do need to adjust my weights in my calculator for ERA and WHIP. Maybe Jeff's strategy influenced that a little bit, but I, I got a very key takeaway, and that is I, I think I questioned the formula as to how I'm weighting ERA and WHIP on that side of my calculator. The other is that catchers, catchers were critical in 1999. I should have taken Mike Piazza in round one. I took Derek Jeter at the fifth pick overall, and it turned out I could have gotten another shortstop. I think catcher is a critical strategy. Ivan Rodriguez and Mike Piazza went in the first round here. They didn't both in the first round of your draft. Um, and... I was going to take Pedro Estacio. I was going to go for K's, do a little bit of punting ERA and whip, 
And every time I tried to take a guy like this, David Wells was one, Chuck Finley was one. They went way too quick for me to get to them, and it unraveled my strategy. Very interesting stuff here, and very, very tight standings at the end. Except for you at the bottom. I, I'm very, uh, I, I, I'm heartened by the fact that you didn't compete in a league for uh, once, and I did. Um, yes, I took Pudge with the fourth overall pick a week ago in 1999, and then I got another decent catcher at the end. Um, I didn't have, I needed one good starting pitcher and I would have won that league. I kind of punted ERA and whip. I definitely punted saves. I almost wonder now in both of these leagues, somebody punted categories. And I think that might be the way to win leagues now. And I, I'll, th- I'll say this, like even in 2020, I'm going to explore punting, um, perhaps stolen bases, perhaps batting average, perhaps saves. I don't think I'd ever really punt ERA and whip, but I think punting is a more viable strategy than I've ever given it credit for. Is that a fair statement, do you think? Um, do you ever consider that, or is it a last resort? It, it is worth discussing much more than we do. You are dead on about that. I think the fact that you think it is a better strategy in fantasy is way off, because if anyone else takes on the strategy, it neutralizes the advantage you have. If we had had anybody besides Jeff doing this in the draft last night, it probably unravels the standings and these come out completely differently. That is the issue. You need to sneak it past somebody and you need to know that you have an environment where you can control those, where you can. So, so like the Tout Wars one I told you about in 2013, where I found that Paul Goldschmidt and uh, the Padres got, uh, it wasn't Carlos Gomez. It was another player like that. I, I try, gosh, I'm forgetting who it was. It was the great Padres outfielder who had power and steals and he couldn't hit for average. Um, if you can control the environment, you can punt successfully. And the reason it works here is that we know the stats. We know the results already. We know exactly what every player is worth. We can completely control the environment. If you're going in for 2020 and you're punting a category, you don't know what the outcomes are. You can't control the environment the same way. That's all fair, Tristan. It's just I never consider punting a category – before the draft or during a draft, and now I'm wondering if it's not a bad strategy because it would take somebody basically being great in every category to win that league. Say you load up on all – if you're just punting saves and you say if anyone else does it, 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 it deletes it. No, I think if a couple people do it. it if I, I very nearly won last week punt with a one in saves and like a three in ERA and whip. And the guy who did win had a two in saves. So we both punted saves, and he still won by a couple points. So I think it can work. Now I'm trying to look up the player you're talking about here. A Padre in 2013? Yeah, it was like Carlos Gomez, but it wasn't him. I'm trying to remember. I think I'm going to punt saves in some leagues this year. And and part of the reason is because I don't know who's getting a Will Venable. Is that you're talking about? No, it wasn't Venable. No, it's it's not the 2013 Padres. The point being that... Yes, punting a save, punting a category is not ideal, and punting more than one is definitely not. But I've seen people win their leagues. People won tout year after year by punting something, and and maybe I'm just doing it wrong. All right, let's move on. It, it, um, it was, but the other thing, by the way, is positional scarcity is another thing that gets a little more highlighted here, and it gets overrated in now. Yes, no, I think it gets overrated in an active draft that's forecasting ahead. I think the positional scarcity comes much more into play with stats we already have in the tank. When the outcomes well, are known, you can do strategies like this. Well, in 2020, there's no position scarcity, though. I mean, catcher to some degree, but not in a one-catcher league like ours. But middle infield is as strong as it's ever been right now. So there's no reason for you to 
to take Elvis Andrews in round six when he should go in round 12. That's my point. That's my reasoning on not liking the value of Andrews is that you don't need to go for a shortstop three rounds earlier because there's a lack of depth there. There's plenty of depth at shortstop. That's all. Paul DeYoung is going round 22. I'd much rather have DeYoung in round 22 than Andrews in round 12 on the chance he steals 30 bases again. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the reason that position scarcity is just no longer a thing. But every year it kind of changes on what's deeper than not. And I, don't my, know, I look at second, short, and third, and I'm like, they're pretty deep right now. My, my point here is simply that if we already know what the stats are, we know exactly what the levels of position scarcity are. And the problem with the position scarcity argument in today's game forecasting ahead is that we have no idea what the outcomes for that position are going to be. And that is the issue with catcher. You needed to draft catcher early in this one in order to be successful. But if you were drafting catcher fresh at the start of 99, not knowing Pudge would do what he would do and Mike Piazza was going to do, I think you'd be overrating it. Fair enough. And uh, I believe I'll be in next Wednesday and we'll be talking and we have no show before then. I'll be, uh, it's 1986, which is, I love. Oh, speaking of 1986. Uh, so Steve Gardner and I are playing on, uh, on Dynasty League Baseball. We just did our World Series. We're, we're, we're bored. Um, 1986 World Series rematch. I was Boston. He was the Mets and he won it in game six on a Daryl Strawberry walk off home run in extra innings. Um, so the Mets won it in six. He won two extra inning games, which obviously could have gone either way. I won the Clemens one-hit shutout. I got blown out in game five. I misused my pitching. But it was a lot of fun. So we've done the 86 World Series, the 83, and we did one that I won, which was uh, 08, the Phillies beating the Rays. I don't know what we're doing next. It's his choice. Um, So we'll get to that. Um, You have an article on ESPN uh, Fantasy right now of the nine worst games in fantasy baseball history. And um, obviously – I think it has to be heavy on pitchers because I just don't feel like if a, if a hitter goes over five, we don't care if he goes over five with five strikeouts or five ground outs. Um, but when a pitcher, and, and if you would ask me to name a couple of these beforehand, I would have guessed the John Smoltz one because I had Smoltz in a league back in 2002 when he just got obliterated like his first outing of the season and the manager just like left him in to die and he never could fix his, his ear. But if you thought about it from a fantasy aspect, all right, one bad game. But his ERA the rest of the season was fantastic. That's exactly the time you should have traded for him in a league, not traded him away. But I bet a lot of people did trade him away. And, um, and that was one of the key takeaways. It was a huge fantasy story. And at the time, we did not have metrics we do now. I think you're right. People did sell him off. Bad idea. Right. That's exactly the time you want to buy a, a guy. But then again, like – if you're buying on a player who just bad after that, then, you know, it could also work against you. Did you learn anything from writing this story that you could take into now, drafting now? That I could take into drafting now? Um, I, I mean, it reiterated the fact that even some of the greats had their terrible games. I was very surprised to see a couple of these names on here, like Randy Johnson's. And Randy Johnson, that wasn't even in his prime. That wasn't a Diamondbacks game. But the game in 1994 where he got obliterated by the Blue Jays, minus 30 fantasy points. It tells, it tells you that even the elite have their poor games. And not only that, because his control was a question at the time, that they can improve, that their skills can be better. The Felix game, the King Felix game, two of them in the same year in 2015 that I reference did provide the first hints, and you and I talked about that on this show, that we were wondering whether King Felix's prime was starting to decline. Yeah, I had him in a long-time league, and I remember at the time thinking, I better get out now. 
and everybody else in my league. First of all, nobody in that league would trade with me anyway. But because if I want to sell Felix Hernandez, I must know something. He must be hurt or he, he's done. It was no fun. Nobody would trade with me. But um, I knew he was done. And everybody else either also knew he was done or didn't want to take him for anything. I was stuck with him, and he, you know, he, he remained on my team for a while until it was too too late to move on. Um, that stinks when you know that, and you still when you wait too long to sell on a player that you know is done. Is there anybody right now who you think might be done? Like you have him in a dynasty. Like it's not like I'm writing up the Brewers report for next week. It's not Ryan Braun. It's got to be somebody like who is going early in drafts, and you have him in a dynasty, and you're thinking, man, I better get out of here before – like J.D. Martinez, when he hits a wall, that's going to hit hard. It's not this year or next for Martinez or Justin Verlander, Scherzer, who had some injury issues last year. Like, if you have these guys that are 35 years old, Martinez is not yet, but if you have an old player in a dynasty league, and you're like, man, do I, how do I know when to get out? The, the old statement, and I think you make it a lot, is – you want to get out before it's too late. Sometimes it's not too late. Sometimes you still have two or three more years and you're missing out on something. How do you know? You need to see something in the metrics that suggests a downturn in performance. The first guy that comes to mind, and I, I'm, I'm on it. You said this on Corey Kluber. That's September yeah. two years ago. Yes. yes, there were some hints there that I thought some tough times were ahead. And if you got out at the time, I frankly, you did well. There really isn't any disputing you did well. I actually think Kluber could rebound a little bit this year. Edwin Encarnacion is one. I, I still think he's a very good player, and he's in a strong situation to have another productive year. But I'm not going to pay a premium because I just don't think there's much in the way of upside, and I think the downside is increasing. How about Aaron Judge? <laughs> he's not even old, but he has like an old body. I'm, I'm, I'm really hating that trade I made with you. The more I look at it. What trade? I never had Aaron uh, Judge in a league. The Harper for Judge trade. I'm hating that. Uh, yeah, but there's no, that's not going to haunt you because Harper no. Harper is what he is. I mean, he's a good player. And we're both heading to the playoffs in that sim league anyway. I like having – look, if Harper was on Washington, I wouldn't have made the trade. I only did it because I wanted a Philly. Also, right fielders to me are pretty replaceable. Right fielders and first basemen are the most replaceable assets in the, that league. Right. I had Jorge Soler there. I just didn't want him because of the defense. And it's a sim league. But um, it's pretty easy to get a right fielder or do a platoon in a sim league. So, But I just wanted Harper because I, I thought it would be fun. And, and my top three of, the, of my lineup is Adam Eaton, Anthony Rendon, and Bryce Harper. Everybody else stinks in the lineup, but those those guys are doing great. I've um, got one for you. I'm going to throw yeah. David Price on this list. Yeah, but doesn't everybody know it's too late? No. Like, I, I think that, that your chance passed when the first thing came up about the prospects of Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago. He has performed pretty decently over the past two-ish years. People might have forgotten about that a little bit. You're not going to get as much, but this could be your last chance to get a premium return. Then again, if you're in a dynasty league and you say, I want to win this season, David Price might have a pretty good half season for the Dodgers. He's in a perfect spot to succeed. Which is the time to cash in. No, it's the time to win your league and then and then don't worry about cashing it. We're, but we're talking this from the perspective of if you're in a dynasty league and you're trying to build for the future, these are the guys you need to be trading off. If you don't think you can win this year, obviously you're going to try to move Price. But I don't know who's going to buy on David Price is my point. People are going to buy on Verlander and Scherzer because they want to win now. You will. But, what? You will. Because of course I will. You want to win. You want to win. I always I want to finish second place right now in every league, and that's why I'm buying on Verlander, Scherzer, Edwin – depending on what the price is, you're more likely to have a real rebuild, whether it's a dynasty or a sim league than I am. I never rebuild. And it, maybe that's part of my problem. That's why I'm not winning these leagues. 
But um, anyway, I, 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 and I'm finding out that a lot of people in our leagues are actually listening now. Maybe they have the time over the past two months to listen to this show, and uh, thereby they're like, "Yep, yeah, you know, I, I get that." You and I are different in that respect. You will, you will go all in to win one year, even if it means you're going to finish in twelfth the next season or the next three seasons. You're willing to do that. In a, in, whether it's a fantasy league or a sim league, and I'm not willing to do that because I want to have fun and right now and contend every year. It's just I'm finishing second in all these leagues every and every every year. I just don't play the hey maybe I'm going to get there. If I know that the odds say it's more likely I am not going to bring in anything, no no success for that year, it is time to turn my attention to the next season and go all in on that one. All right, well maybe that's a flaw in my uh, in my thinking. Um, a couple, we got a couple hash browns here, so let's Kyle get let's get Kyle in here to ask them, and we'll try to answer them quickly and get everybody out. Yeah, we got a pair here. Jerome up first. He wants to know Bobasha or Keston Hura in a keeper league. Man, I just wrote those words on Keston Hura about an hour ago before this show started, and I went very bold in the Brewer report, which I think is coming out next week. I, I write them like a week in advance because I I, I I plan well, um, and I, I'm like Keston Hura is going to be the best second baseman in fantasy like next year. He's going to be better than Altuve and Ketel Marte and everybody. That said, <laughs> I think Bo Bichette is the better keeper, which it's going to sound weird. Basically, what I'm saying is that I, I, I think Bo Bichette and Kesson Cura, when we're doing our show next February, I think we're talking about these guys as third-round picks, both of them. Bo Bichette's going to be a fantasy monster. I, I envision in, in a full season next year him batting 300 with 100 runs scored, 18 home runs, and 32 steals. And Kesson Jura, kind of the reverse. He could bat 300 with 32 home runs and 18 steals. These are fantasy monsters for the next decade. Kesson Jura and Bo Bichette, who I'm thinking are going to be like third or fourth round picks in a year. Hmm. Yeah. But I would take Bichette first, even though I'm saying great things about Jura too. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? No, I, I think I think your projection for years ahead is an interesting one, and I, I can get on board with that. Uh Bo Bichette's got the, isn't he just about a year younger? They're both, you know, way in advance of their prime. So Bo Bichette is Trey Turner with not as many steals, but I think safer batting average. I think Bo Bichette is amazing. Like a 300 hitter with 20 home run power, 30, 35 steals. He's Trey Turner, but maybe just as valuable. Just th- even with like less steals. I think what you're describing is actually a better player than Turner, but you know you're mentioning the difference in steals. It's not. It's not a. But per- I don't think Turner's oh. stealing 50 bases now any, anymore. I, I don't think he is. The fact that they would even discuss him batting third scares me from the stolen base perspective. I'll put, I, it, I'll put it this way: I, th- I do think you're overrating Bobichet a little bit. Okay. I would. I would personally prefer Hira here, and that's simply a personal scouting aspect from the two i can completely see the case that somebody could make for either player as the answer here i have liked hira for a long time including the point where he was ranked high in the the prospect list two years before even his major league debut i think he's got a great combination of batting average and homer and potentially can contribute a little bit in terms of stolen bases bulbashet a lot of that had to do with a big hot streak i i I don't want to get ahead of myself with him he's younger he could end up being the way better player but i'm hira here so if I'm saying Bichette could be Trey Turner, could Kesson Hura be Anthony Rendon with more speed? Yeah, yeah, I like that. I do like that. Bat speed, right-handed hitter. Don't give me a lefty when I'm doing comps. It's always got to be the same. Yep. I, and Rendon did play some second base. Um, and Hura 
is not a good second baseman. Hura might end up at first base, which worries me just a tad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, when I'm looking at the batting profile, you might be right. I might. Hura did strike out a lot as a rookie, uh, and Bichette didn't. So, but so that concerns me just a little bit. But I do see a 30 home run, 300 batting average guy. Maybe Hura doesn't steal as many bases as I think, but. Those comps, I mean, Turner and Rendon are pretty amazing comps for Bichette and uh, and Hura. Anyway, you're right. Like on, you're right on the K's. That did concern me a lot, and it was a big regression. 103 K's and 40, 485 at bats in 2018 in the minors, high A and double A, and it was 107 and 314 in the majors last year. Thirty percent. That's too much. But he was a rookie. But you know the thing that I love about Kesson Hura, man. Look at his splits from last year. He was. This is a great stat. I'm giving away everything from my story for next week, but I have no idea if anybody's even listened to the show. Keston Cura was second in baseball last year in OPS against right-handed pitching, minimum 250 plate appearances. The only guy with a better one was Mike Trout. He had 1,000 OPS against right-handers, and because of BABIP, he had like a 690 OPS against lefties, which is going to correct itself. So to me, if Cura ends up with a 900 OPS against righties and 900 against lefties, that's a monster. That's a second-round pick probably. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not even considering him. He might be the right-handed Juan Soto. Let's, let's just – well, the walks will never be the same between the two, but I see your point from the hit tool perspective. Um, let's just hope he's not Yasiel Puig. He's not. Come on. Nobody's that No, the, the, the I can't hit lefties is a right-handed hitter. and we, He's not. I looked at his minor league numbers. He's not. It was all BABIP. I agree, I but it's the major league thing, and he's looked a little different. I just hope not. Okay. Next. Sounds like in a keeper league. Can't really go wrong there. Last question here comes from Jared. He wants to keep it in Toronto. He notes that Tristan has both Vlad and Eloy ranked in his top 20 dynasty ranks. He wants to know if either one of you feel strongly about one over the other. People are, are just looking at Vlad wrong. They are. They're assuming that, that what he did to struggles he had as a rookie are going to be a major problem. And I'll just remind people what ha- happened with Mike Trout in his first 300 PAs as a rookie. And now he's a Hall of Fame player. He's not even halfway through his career, and he's a Hall of Fame player. Vlad Guerrero is going to be a Hall of Fame player. I think he's going to hit for average every year, for power. I don't know if he's going to play third base for more than a year or two, but neither did Miguel Cabrera. I think Vlad Guerrero is Miguel Cabrera. I think he's going to be a fantasy monster, a fixture for the next 12 years, who hits for average and power, a four-category monster every year. And I like Eloy Jimenez, but I don't see that same type of upside for batting. I'm not even close for batting average. So to me, if I was doing dynasty rankings, I would have Vlad definitely ahead of Eloy. I don't want to say significantly because I think Eloy is going to be a power hitter for the next decade as well. But I think Vlad is a Hall of Fame player. That's what I think. I have Vlad 12th. I have Eloy 18th. And for the most part, I'm on board with everything you're saying here on these two. Isn't that aggressive for Eloy, though? You don't think he's hitting 275? I think Eloy is an exceptional young player who this is your last call. I, I Every year I have a last call player, and I was going to ask you this before about who do you want to you know cash in the chip on now in a dynasty league. This is your last call on Eloy. And oh, I agree with that. He's he is going to hit 400 home runs in his career. I just I do you think he's going to hit 275 annually? Yes. Okay. Having watched him play, I am very impressed by the fact that he has a good all-field approach. I watched him as a prospect. I've watched him as a major leaguer. He was a little bit more power-oriented last year. But I think when that game gets a little bit more complete, as long as he doesn't sell out fully for power, this is the kind of guy I could see hitting 290 and hitting 40 homers each and every year. It might not be Vlad, 
But I will give Eloy one advantage over Vlad. Vlad scares me just a little bit in terms of he does rely on a huge amount of plate coverage. And the fitness question, the DH role potentially are a little bit troubling year over year. Fair. Miguel Cabrera wasn't built well as a you know kid either. I'll, I'll say this about Eloy. I might be underrating him. His second half last year, 292. He slugged 542 in the second half last year with 15 home runs. My issue is, and Vlad isn't a walker either, but Eloy had 11 walks after the All-Star break last year. In half a season, man. That's really low. And he's another guy who hit righties a lot better than lefties from the right side. I mean, there's a lot of good things coming for you. You're right. You, if you can still get Eloy at a decent price right now, he's, maybe he's closer to Vlad than I had thought. But I still think Vlad is a generational talent, even with that body. Um, but you're right, you know. you're right about the walks, but players do develop. I'm not going to judge him based on one year at the major league level. And look at the K rate in the majors. Compare it to what he did in the minors. It's a very great player. He is going to be fantastic as well. Um, we're wrapping up for today's show. You know what? Today is May 21st, which the dawns on me is the anniversary of when I did something really dumb. I need to uh, cook some elbow macaroni tonight. Today is the anniversary of me shattering my right elbow in a softball game. Uh, I was the leadoff hitter for the ESPN team a long, long time ago. I wasn't the best player on the team. Let's make that clear. But um, Dave Schoenfield, our buddy, was the pitcher. He threw the underhand pitch. An opponent popped it up in the infield or to the outfield, kind of like, like behind second base. And I foolishly went diving for it in the very first inning, and I shattered my elbow. I was dragged away in an ambulance. I had two major reconstructive surgeries. It took me a long time to play softball again, and I really wish I could play softball right now. We would be like our fifth week of the season. Please, I hope this gets better so I can play so, so I can do a lot of things, but I really miss softball. Anyway, today is that anniversary I don't think I knew you back then, Tristan. Um, what year was it? It was uh, 01. Yeah, so. we, met, we met in the uh, winter of uh, 02. Oh, how did we meet? We met at Labor in Washington, D.C. Was that my first one? I, I was in the, Tam- the Tampa one. Was that the yeah, second? It was your second, I'm pretty sure. It was my first. Okay. But I remember that's the first time I had met you in person was in D.C. And it was the first uh, – yeah, I, there was quite a few people I met for the first time at that that event. Was in I person. nice to you or did I like, pick on your big head or what did I do? You were actually very, very nice. You were one of the nicest people there. Well, I say actually. Is it surprising to you? No, but you just qualified it as was I nice to you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm reassuring you that unlike the Elvis Andrews opinion <laughs> – I. I'm, I don't just, know. I'm kidding around. You and I very often – look, this is the thing we do in fantasy is we often throw you hate this guy takes at each other because we need to develop strong opinions. That's all it is. No, I think I have very strong opinions. You were, you were I very nice. Jalen Hurts the next Lamar Jackson. I think that's a pretty strong opinion. I, <laughs> I love that cup. I, I, you stole that cup before I could say it that day. I loved it. You were right on. I like that 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 cup. You were – you were completely nice. I, I was like the new guy. You're welcoming me in. You know, oh, it was only my second year, and I knew nobody in the industry. But yes, yeah, a long, long time ago when Eric Metrist and fun was had. Um, Kyle wasn't born yet. Anyway, we are done for today's show. Thank you so much for listening to the Fantasy Focus Baseball for Thursday, May twenty. Man, May twenty one. Man, that will, oh, that date will always stick in my mind. I'm going to go cook some elbow macaroni with some peanut butter and mustard right now. We are not doing a show next Monday. It's Memorial Day. Celebrate it for what it is. Please be safe. 
continue to social distance, do the right thing so we can all go out to restaurants and play softball and travel and do fun things and baseball will return, hopefully. For Tristan H. Cockcroft, Kyle Sapi, and the awesome June Lee, I am Eric Carabell. Have an awesome weekend.